Hey, you guys, it's Alana coming to you from my couch in Brooklyn, New York, USA. I just wanted to talk for a moment about the status of things. As I approach 250 episodes, I want to first and foremost say thank you to all of you. The Little Known Facts community has been one of the most glorious things in my life, and I hope has brought true joy to so many of you. Uh, I feel like we're a family, and so many of you have been listening from the beginning. Um, And to those of you who are newer to the podcast, I'm so glad you're here. I feel like this community remains one of the most special parts of my life and has been something that has really helped me get through this unprecedented, awful time. Um, And I just wish you good health first and foremost. And I also wanted to say that as you can imagine, because you listen, you know, a lot of my sponsorships in the past came from arts related organizations. And as you can imagine, most of those have not been able to continue sponsoring the podcast because theater and arts in general continue to be paused or slash intermission or whatever you want to call it. So here is why I'm interrupting our regularly scheduled programming for one second. Um, On my website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, there's a donations page, and it's really simple to contribute, whether you do it through PayPal or Venmo or however you want to do it. And I say to you, honestly, if every one of you donated $1 a month, it would make an extraordinary difference in um, the support that I would have to continue making this content for you every week. Um, I don't do this alone. By the way, if you cannot contribute, that is not going to stop me from making content for you every week. The joy that I get making this podcast and getting to connect with you really is worth its weight in gold. But there are some realities. And if you were thinking of donating and maybe you haven't had a chance, um, might this be a good time? And if not, don't worry. I'm right here. I feel you. And it's a big ask. But that's why I'm saying even a dollar a month would be significant. Um, But mostly, I hope you are well. I hope you are safe. I hope you have loved ones around um, to be with during this rough time. And as always, I'm so grateful to you. And thank you for being a part of the Little Known Facts family. And I, uh, I look forward to all being able to hug each other soon. All right. Have a great day. Enjoy the episode. Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. A-OK. 
Little known fact about my guest today, growing up a first-generation Korean-American, she always yearned to see herself represented on screen as a superhero. Well, now, not only is she seeing it, she is it. She plays Mary Hamilton on the series Batwoman, and she is a total badass superhero. Welcome the extraordinary Nicole Kang to the podcast. A-OK. everyone. My guest today is Nicole Kang. Nicole stars in the CW television series Batwoman as Mary Hamilton. She was also seen on the Lifetime Netflix series You. Other TV credits include The Code, Instinct, and Orange is the New Black. Her film credits include Swallow, 10 Minutes to Midnight, The Social Ones, and For Entertainment Purposes Only. She has starred in many, many, many theater productions, including one that she's become really known for, which is the 2016 production of Sense and Sensibility at the Wonderful Folger Theater. She earned a BFA at New York University. She is a member of the Actors Studio, and I'm so thrilled to welcome Nicole Kang to the podcast. Hi, Nicole. Hi. I want to talk to you about so many things, and of course, when you tweet that you are interviewing someone from Batwoman, the fan base is so excited and have so many things that they want to talk to you about, and for me, who um, doesn't know that much about DC Comics in the world. I can't wait to like have all this new stuff I learned. So we're going to get to that. I promise that <laughs> women fans who are listening. But Nicole's an incredible singer and dancer and can do martial arts and can like just do all the things. So when you were born, oh my how, gosh. <laughs> how, how evident was it for you and your family and people in your life that you had so many unbelievable skills and talents? And how did you choose sort of where to focus and harness all of this natural talent that obviously with discipline and time you honed into a craft? That is an incredible question for my parents. Uh, <laughs> we, can, I, we can phone yeah, a friend. We can have them come on. Yeah. Oh, my God. That would be the day. My mom will just love that. Okay, um, let's do it. That will be later. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, if you ask them now, they will say I sort of came out like a bursting with energy, talking to myself. I was this only child and like a totally foreign to them. There's this Korean saying that like, we found you under a bridge. Like that was repeated to me over and over again. My parents, Do you know how to say that in Korean, that expression? Um, oh my God. It, it, it's something about tari because tari means like a uh, bridge and legs. So it's like sort of a double entendre. Like that's, okay. where, that's where the word comes from. And yeah, and it, it has been so funny to, for them to sort of be like, we always knew, but we never thought, you know, mm-hmm. about everything that has sort of happened to me and that I've, I've done in my life. It's sometimes that is a surprise to me. I definitely was always super extroverted and interested and emotional and expressive and sensitive and, you know, a self-proclaimed daredevil. So I definitely was always down and I remember wanting to try everything and everything that had to do with art, 
you know, was always so delicious to me. Mm-hmm. And like mind, body, and soul, I just sort of always loved to be stimulated like that, I remember. Now, I did grow up in Virginia, and this is like sort of a long story, but I I think a little bit of my my survival tactics of being Korean in this place that I sort of saw no one else was Korean around me mm-hmm. and having, you know, some, some years I am like sad to say I was really embarrassed of my parents and they didn't get it. I felt like they couldn't teach me the skills I needed. So then I was always leaning on my friends, learning, leaning on popular culture to tell mm-hmm. me what to do, who to be, how to act. Right. So I was doing a lot of observing and I sort of joke when I was younger and I was bad at it. I would literally mimic people. And sometimes I remember in elementary school, people would be like, are you just repeating what I'm saying? And I'm like, are you just repeating? No, I'm not. And I catch myself doing these voices. Right, and, right. And I've watched a Kristen Bell interview where Dax Shepard was like, we'll, we will watch a TV and she will just try things in voices in her mouth and just to try them out. And that has never spoken to me more. That is mm-hmm. how I've always been. So I think those tendencies lent themselves, whether I knew it or not, to acting. So let me ask without diverting too far from all of the things about you I want to talk about, why were your parents drawn to Virginia? Why were you as a Korean family plopped down in this world that wasn't familiar? Yeah. So my company is actually called Kimchi Cowboy after my father. Mm -hmm. And he's got this incredible story about he immigrated to the West because there was this huge sort of pull towards um, immigrating into Colorado and things like that. And he fell in love with the sense of Americana. He fell in love with this idea of this cowboy mentality in the West and the Wild West. And that's what it really meant to him. Mm-hmm. Now, we were drawn to Virginia uh, through by way of my father, actually. And I think he really aspired to be there. And it it really meant this like American dream to him to live in Virginia. Because of its proximity to Washington, D.C.? Or or was it not that part of Virginia that you were raised in? Yeah, my dad actually, now he works for NASA. So it was after 9-11 and things mm-hmm. like that, He his job. And I'm really so proud of him, of how important his job became after 9-11 and, and looking towards, towards, you know, the imminence of, of foreign uh, sort of conflict right. at that time. And so it was in proximity to DC. Now I will say also that that cowboy culture, that Western culture, he definitely implant implemented into my household, you know, whether it was his, you know, dipping tobacco or wearing cowboy boots or uh, John Wayne in the background or the backdrop of Patsy Cline and John Denver and Willie Nelson on the radio. I think that was definitely his influence. Were your parents born in, where were your parents born? Korea. Okay. So they came, were they kids when they came or were they young adults? Was it post-college years? Yeah, my mom was a young adult, and she immigrated to the Bronx, which is so cool. Um, yes. Yeah, that I moved back to New York and and sort of reclaimed that for her in so many ways, in ways that she really 
felt like she was drowning there. Um, and, in and, Virginia? No, in, in the Bronx. In, in the New Bronx. York. Okay, yeah. so for her, it wasn't what it was for you, but you were able to reclaim it and, and make yeah. it good. I yeah. I mean. yeah. We, we really talked about that a lot. Mm. You know, she just felt totally like a fish out of water. She was of course. 13, 14, you know, coming in through Staten Island and just absolutely lost reading the dictionary, you know, trying to catch up. So that was her story. And then my dad, yeah, he was quite young, eight years old. You know, he was a child when he came to Colorado. Again, another sort of fish out of water story. He was the only Korean family, the only Korean kid in his school, all of that. And, and, but the, his landscape was definitely different than hers. His was the West. Right. Um, yeah. And they met at MIT, which is crazy. They're so brilliant. Um, yes. <laughs> we were so different, which is like so funny to look at our education. Right. Well, that's why they were like, did we find her under a bridge? Is she really yeah. ours? What's happening? No, no I, I swear. Like they <laughs> they have no idea what's going on and they're just trying to 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 catch up and, and Right. And so were you um were you in dance class? Were you did you find your voice? You know, so many of my guests discovered their singing voices through church or some kind of religious institution. Some right. people, it was like singing along. So so where did you discover like all the things that you can do and did they put you in classes to sort of help you cultivate it or was this you doing it all on your own? Yeah, this is so funny. I was, I've been dancing since I was three. I mean, my mom had studied at when I was a baby, baby, when I was three, I, I moved pretty early on. But right. my mom had studied at the Boston Conservatory at the same time that she was studying at MIT to become a medical school doctor. She's Are you kidding me? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do so, need to get your mom on. Come on. I know, I know. She's insane. She's insane. So I, she would always bring me along to Boston Conservatory. And actually, that's where I started ballet. I mean, it was sort of like my babysitting, you know, while mm -hmm. she was a young professional. And so I, I was dancing and they always knew I had all of this energy. And so I was just, you know, ready to jump into anything. And then very early on, just because of what I saw on TV, I fell in love with Michelle Kwan. I fell in love with Christy Yamaguchi. And right. I, I decided I wanted to be an ice skater, a figure skater. So that's right. how I found figure skating and uh, fell in love with that. Also, my dance led to let, you know, lend itself to being a great figure skater, etc. Did you et train very seriously? Oh, yeah. So my dad always jokes, I used to get in trouble. I was very like rambunctious as a child. And he said that he started putting me in ice skating class ice skating lessons and very seriously training me in the mornings before school. So through high school, I was up at 5 a.m. Uh, skating. Oh. He was like, I was trying to tire you out before you went to school so that you could like be calm and stay focused, <laughs> you know? Right. Now I think, oh my gosh, I definitely had ADD, you know? But at the time he was like, oh God, what do I do? I just got to tire out so maybe she can focus, which is a hilarious way of parenting. Yeah. And and that's really like my sort of physical side, and I've kept up dance because I think it's easier to keep up than I than I think ice skating. Just that like it's it's been just a nice thing that I I could dance all over New York, and mm -hmm. it just brought me a lot of joy, and it was great physical exercise, etc. But you were doing that all the way through high school. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So when did this um, – do you still – I mean, we talked earlier before we started recording that you're in Canada right now for yeah. filming. Um, do you still skate? No, I don't. You know, one of my close friends up here, Leah Lewis, just told me, she goes, why aren't you ice skating up here? And I don't know. I don't have my skates. My skates are in Virginia. Mm -hmm. I live in Virginia with my parents, so I should definitely have them send them up here. I miss it dearly. And also, you know, things have been closed down and such. Right, so of course. I've this is such a strange time. Around. Yeah, 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 I've been I've been doing the best I can. And yeah. now for like the singing stuff, yeah, like like you said, you know, whether it's church or choir, I was in choir through high school and things like that. I was always those kinds of, you know, drama or like the theater department, the drama kids or or choir, that was really big at my high school. And so I was always trying to like find friends and hobbies and and that was a, just a great discipline because it was like taught at school so I could then, you know, keep a friend group. And uh, it was really always fun to, we got to travel and I, I love traveling and I loved going other places. So through choir, I was able to actually like one time go to Italy and sing in churches and, and things yeah. like that. So, so that was always my draw to choir. And then also, you know, as the as the pandemic's taken hold, singing and recording my stuff has now become just such an escape for me and something that I can do in in sort of more solitude. Yeah. That, that other collaborative processes processes have sort of been, you know, on hold, at, you know, for now. Right. But so there was no, you guys as a family never found, whether it was because of relatives or just community centers, there was never a Korean community for you growing up. No, no, no. Yeah. And that's, that's sort of where the intersection and my confusion of my identity and still, I'm still searching, of course, but sort of in my own personal coming of age so story, reckoning with my history and going back and asking questions, asking my dad, all of these questions and things. I, I used to, I have this like sort of one woman show that I used to tour in New York, you know, when I wasn't working that would be incredibly fulfilling, but it's sort of my own original country music atop uh, interwoven with my like slam poetry. And it's all about my relationship to my dad, my relationship, my funny relationships in Virginia, my early, you know, falling in love, my first love and things like that. And my confusion, my utter confusion about who I was and what I wanted and where I belonged and who I belonged with. I mean, right. I just, I had all of these questions, still do, but that's definitely a huge part of my desire to express in so many different ways. And I think my unsettledness in, within myself, this, this desire for answers. And then also when I get the chance to connect, whether it's through acting on stage, et cetera, or on set or to these incredible Batwoman fans. I mean, our mm -hmm. fan base is the best. Is, I was just going to say that's my like sort of favorite part of Batwoman is how- I can only imagine. Yeah. yeah. They're just but so incredible. They're a huge part of my life. And that is really what has, what has given me so much 
I don't know, grace and, and, mm. and, and purpose and a sense of purpose and a sense of feeling like, you know, belonging, which I think a lot of people can relate to. Totally. Um, so you went to NYU, were you, and, and you got a BFA. So, so obviously at this kind of transitional moment, when you're finishing high school and you are like deciding, do you become a professional yeah. ice skater or, you know, compete worldwide so no, forever? Listen, that story is really funny because I had no idea what I wanted and I didn't very much at the time see any uh, Asian actors on screen. I mean, I was in love with Sandra Oh and everything that she touched and everything she did and whatever her comic timing, etc. But other than, but truly I looked at myself and I said, okay, what am I going to actually do? Right. And my parents had an expectation for me, uh, to go to school for maybe business or something a little bit more serious. I put that in air quotes and mm-hmm. I went to college in Ohio originally for accounting. I was sort of on my way to get a, a business degree in MBA. That was the sort of master plan. Right. I had this like epiphany moment with this teacher that was just a visiting professor who changed my life. And and I was always in her office. She, you know, she had graduated the Yale School of Drama and she was like, Nicole, you're allowed to want to do this. And mm. I actually, I stole my parents' credit card and I applied for the Common App to NYU and only NYU. And I was such a late applicant that I got off the wait list to be able to be the last live audition of my year, you know, and I was like, yes. And I got on a bus from Ohio. I don't know. Maybe it's like a 16 hour Greyhound bus ride. Oh yeah. And I got off the bus and I, you know, didn't know what a headshot was. I, you know, I barely knew what a monologue was, but I had my two. I fell in love with Sam Shepard, which is, you know, now that you know me a little bit more, not surprising that I love mm-hmm. his literature, taking yep. place in the West, you know, all yep. that. Wolf for Love is still one of, you know, my favorite plays of all time. Yes, so I, yes. I, I can I, see I, that collection of plays and that handsome picture of him on the cover. Oh, and it's yes. like our Bible, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And so I just felt strong and I was just like confident, you know, I had May in my heart and I was just like mm-hmm. ready to to tear it all down. And I sit there and I sit there and watch everybody go, everybody go. And now everybody's gone. And I remember the man, the young man who was running the auditions was like, well, you ready? You know, save best for last. And I was yeah. like, yeah, I guess so. And I, and, yeah. I went in and I blacked out. I have no idea what happened in that audition. But all I remember is I gave them my father's email address and I walked out and I was like, okay, bye-bye. And uh, we were in Korea visiting our family and he got an email and he goes, what the insert curse word word is, <laughs> is this? And I was like so scared. But then I also said, did I get in? You know, well, what does it say? And it says, you got into the Tisch School of the Arts. What is this? And he goes, we're going to table this until we get home from vacation. Thank God he had, you know, another few days to cool down. Yeah. And I'm just sort of like looking down and all this stuff. And we were fighting. It was very, very difficult for him. They felt, he felt so betrayed by you that you did this whole thing without his knowledge. And fear, right? As a parent, I think this incredible journey where he had nothing and he had no knowledge about acting and and all he knew was what he saw which is that there are no asian actors so Mm -hmm. it's hard 
to say that you are, I can, you know, I can let you go in this way. But the way he finally justified it was that, again, you know, he's a very smart man. He said, okay, I did five years of grad school. You know, he got his PhD. My mom is a medical doctor, et cetera, et cetera. So you have five years to do this hobby thing, whatever you think. And after five years, you have to go get your MBA. And I was like, are you kidding me? Yes, I'll take the deal. Like, oh my yeah. God, crying. Yeah. Oh my God, oh my God. Yeah. And I and and then that was the end of that. And now at NYU, I learned the history of acting, the history of New York, the history. And that's where I fell in love with Stella Adler, Sanford Meisner, you know, Stanislavski, Strasberg, et cetera, et cetera. The, the beginning of the group theater. And I loved that they were immigrants. And I loved mm-hmm. that they had just this fervor, you know, this for for expression that that yeah, their art passion. politics. Yeah. And this passion and this history. And that's where I learned about the actor studio. Now, I also grew up, you know, watching James Lipton, all of his interviews. Totally. Yes. And so the actor studio was something, and I had heard, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman, how many times, Robert De Niro, how many times they auditioned until they got in. And and when you got in, you were a lifetime member. And Mm -hmm. not only that, I, I was able to, through one of my dear friends and favorite playwrights, Lyle Kessler, sit in on some sessions and it was like a gym. They were like, this place is for the best actors in this city to work out, to work their muscles. Yeah. And Ellen Burstyn, you know, would walk in and oh, a hush would come down and, you know, she wow. would, would conduct and Alec Baldwin was running sessions and and I remember being just absolutely spellbound because I thought this place is history. This place is yeah. timeless. There are no phones. There are no, you can only take notes, but you're sitting and you're watching people sweat. I mean, literally sweat and work out at this gym. And I thought this, if I, if I am here, then I am a part of that history and I have a connection to it. And I have such a respect for that history and theater and New York City and everything. And again, this is a part of me trying to figure out where I belong and where I connect, you know, instead of just being sort of floating over anything and through uh, the U.S., like what is going on? I thought I can really tether myself to something that I know is important and impressive Mm -hmm. and impactful. And in my actually last months, in New York City before I flew off to filming Batwoman in Vancouver, Canada, I had sort of one more chance to audition um, for the actor studio. And Ellen Burstein, I worked with her and I worked with Alec actually, and uh, I got in and Ellen signed the book for me. Of, of Whoa. Studio. Yeah, there's only two people that got on my year, me and another young man. And um, she wrote me a note that, and it's, it's a book I take with me everywhere. And uh, that just felt like such a rite of passage. I don't know if I will ever have a feeling like that again, but uh, just, just 
the idea and her power. I mean, I remember she like won an Academy Award and they were like, Ellen Burstein is not available to receive this award because she is doing a play in New York. And mm-hmm. I remember seeing that acceptance speech and thinking, oh my gosh, that's that's really, that that is an artist, that is an yeah. actor uh, who, who would die if she couldn't act. And right. I, I, and I really felt like that. And so that was definitely the rite of passage that I'm most proud of, that I've mm-hmm. sort of felt like I, I belonged. And it was around my like eight year mark in New York. And I was like, I was like, I feel like I'm close to being a true New Yorker. Yeah. So in terms of this five year plan, so if I kind of understand the trajectory, you're at, you're in a college in Ohio, you get on a bus by yourself. <laughs> You audition, right. you go, you get back on that bus and go back to Ohio. You, or or maybe school is over for the, the year. Um, yeah. So did you transfer to NYU or did you? I transferred. You yeah. transferred. So what yeah. year of college were you in when you moved to New York to go to NYU? Second year. Uh, sophomore year. Okay. Yes. Okay. So yeah. did you, and which, when you do undergrad work at NYU and your interest is acting, do you have to pick a studio to study with? It's sort of like Hogwarts. There's like sort of a sorting hat and you get assigned based on your audition and based on your interviews. And where did you get assigned? I got placed at the Stella Adler studio. Okay. And I learned all about, you know, but, but also I studied at Strasbourg, the Strasbourg Institute too. And they're all really connected. And then sort of that first year, that teacher that changed my life, Heather Anderson Bull at, in Ohio, she taught me, she was very Meisner based at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So I definitely had all of those teachers and methods that I still use and pull from because, you know, one could be more focused on uh, scene study and, um, and, and that kind of thing, like language based and, and understanding, understanding how to break down a script. Others are all about like relaxation and pulling on all of your senses and sense memory and that kind of thing. That's stressful. Right. And right. my really is about being present with another person and really listening. And we really don't. I mean, I mean, we really, we will hear, but we won't listen and receive and be open to really tuning into those senses where you're feeling what another person is feeling, but, but nobody could be saying anything. You know, there's a lot of knowledge that we have and and getting in tune with those other skills and and really heightening them honing them focusing on them so that when the time comes i can do it on purpose right so that was my that was my training and did you feel um like you found a community yeah yeah i did i did but all over new york and that was really the special part mm-hmm. you know whether i was at rockwood singing whether I was in Brooklyn dancing, whether I was, you know, at Club Coming, which is Alan Cummings' bar, singing mm-hmm. karaoke, what, wherever, whether I was dancing, whatever I was doing, whatever job, side gig I had, I found people all over the place of, you know, every socioeconomic um position in life in every race. And I learned so much about so many different upbringings and cultures. And most importantly, I felt like 
everyone had a story. Everyone had a journey to, to, to intersecting with my own life. And, and that maybe the fact that I felt like I didn't belong brought me to this moment here. You know, Mm -hmm. it, it just made me hungry to meet these people. And yes, these friendships have, have lasted a lifetime. Even my best friend, Moises, we realized that we grew, like our parents probably grew up, maybe they were neighbors in the Bronx. And oh, my wow. mom's, you know, father, their family business was a convenience store. They had all kinds of trinkets and stuff. And and that and that he knows, his parents know, you know, he's still up in the Bronx and his mom is still there. They they know what it was. And right. that is wild. You yeah. know, that a generation went in that store. Like that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So did you have to repeat freshman year of college when you transferred or could you do NYU in three years? I actually did it in two and a half because – so I was a business major. So I had all of these credits right. that I came in that was about like a year and a half, two years worth of academic credit. And then all I really focused on and sort of budgeted for like money-wise and things like that was just to focus – on acting and get that sort of studio training. Right. Uh, yeah. At, at Adler, we also share some teachers with Juilliard and that kind of thing. So I was in class 12 hours a day and 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 really work, working as hard as I possibly could, squeezing out everything I could, asking teachers every question. I'm sure I was <laughs> an, an annoyance. I mean, I was so curious and I just wanted to like soak everything up. At the same time, I was super blessed to like watch Annie Baker, you know, who's my favorite contemporary playwright, but like watch John and at the signature theater and then just be, oh, absolutely moved or people, places and things. I remember just so moved at the same time while I was learning. And it it just was, it just was the most transformative time of my life. And Um, were people giving you boundaries or placing boundaries on you because you are Korean and did you have to contend with that and the kinds of parts they thought you should do? How did you handle that? Yeah, I always knew about my race and I I guess I was confronted with it all the time, but I didn't really realize it because I thought that was just life. But when I had to talk about it to brand yourself or any of those wild, Mm -hmm. weird questions when suddenly you become a product. Yeah. And they're trying to teach you how to sell it. Uh, I was so confused. I felt so conflicted. I said, "I don't. I don't know what I am. I, I don't know. I don't know uh, what what's available to me." Mm-hmm. And that that was also difficult. But you know, God. Well, how did you break yeah. through? How did you break through from student, clearly like passionate, taking advantage, mm-hmm. like? Like, I just see you as this, like, (laughs) voracious consumer of art, right? Like, just anything you could get your hands on, watch, see, be, do. Like, it's so inspiring, the energy you've described yourself as, like, always having and now it being laser-focused on this um, desire to learn everything and be everything you can be as an artist Um, and knowing how the academic community can be so inspiring and so limiting at the same time, depending it's kind of a roll of the dice in certain ways. Um, And I've had, I was so lucky to be in New York city. Yeah. 
she is the greatest teacher of all. That was my greatest yeah. blessing of all. Yes. And yeah, I, I, I totally, yes, I, ha- I had both. So that's why it was so frustrating for me at the beginning because so all of a sudden I said, I, I didn't really love the idea. I have to wait till somebody lets me in. Mm-hmm. I have to wait till somebody says yes. Right. And I had, you know, a manager believe in me early on and an agent believe in me early on. And that really was helpful. But there was nothing they could do until the universe or or this industry let me in the door, right? right. And take the opportunity. Knocking, but yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't really matter. And so that was a frustrating time. But I will say the only thing that got me through, I mean, truly, is I would watch everything for free. I did every 30 under 30 mm-hmm. thing that I could. I, you know, I remember I watched the Susan Laurie Parks play and we could hear the roar of the sort of first Black Lives Matter protests right outside the door. I mean, I really, I really was impacted by that, and I immersed myself in what was going on, which helped, right? And then at the same time, I was always writing and trying to perform. I mean, I love performance, and so I threw myself into that. And I don't think I even realized, which is why – you know, it's sort of a cliche to be like, you have to make your own work, you know, if you want to make it as an actor, but make your own work to ease yourself and, and, and your spirit and understand that you are so much more than, than a couple sides, you know, whatever sides or whatever role that you may be given to prove everything you have. I think, I think reminding yourself of your value is, is, the way to stay in the game, if if that's what you can call it. So right. I think that, that's when I look back, that's what I sort of stumbled upon by accident. But right, it, making man, your I, own stuff. I, yeah, I look back at myself right during college and right after with so much like, uh, so much like pride and just like gentleness because I was mm. like how brave and how scary and how heartbroken you were over and over again and just like to dust off and keep going I yeah yeah, I and I would read stories of like Brian Cranston and Philip Seymour Hoffman and all of these people that I was like you know they didn't quote unquote make it till later I love Mm -hmm. stories like that because When, when you get to, or I, I was just listening to a Glenn Close interview, but when you really get to it and get down to it, I mean, they've always been at it. There's always been something. Yeah. And that's something that I continue to carry on. And I have lost, of course, I'm not, I'm not a perfect example, but this year, especially as this pandemic has overtaken us, I have really, really relied on my own voice and listening to my own voice and and making my own things, whether it's a small scale or not, because I think, you know, everything you do is a reflection of yourself and your art and your things and what you cook and what you consume and what you, you like, you know, every sense it, it matters. And it's, and that, that ultimately will, will color everything you do, you know, and that and that's how because the truth of the matter is it's like it's not sort of a sexy story one day somebody just opened the door and said yes was i doing anything that much different than the hundreds of auditions that i had before no no way 
Mm-hmm. Was I wearing something special? No. Did I think something special? No. I was prepared. I, you know, I'm always off book. I would work really, really hard. Um, I think De Niro has a quote where he's like, there's a moment at night when I sit with a role and I feel like I, you have to sit and sit and sit with it until you crack something open in yourself Mm -hmm. that you're like, ah, this is mine. This role is mine. Like nobody else can do what I'm going to bring to it. Like you have to sit and sit and sit even because if it's far away from you, you have to really, really sit and figure it out. And when you do, that's when you're ready to go in. And with Mary Hamilton, at least, I read it and I was hit because I was like, first of all, Batman has been, you know, a huge part of my life. It's like a huge part of a relationship with me and my dad. We love the Dark Knight, et cetera. I think I share that sentiment with so many people. Yeah. But um, I read Mary Hamilton and I thought, oh, my God, this is me. Right away. Right away. And had you felt that way before in other things or was this the first time that you kind of saw it fully? This is the first time I saw it fully. You know, mm-hmm. you, I'm really uh, – I will always have just so, such fond fond thoughts about <laughs> of um, in that casting office and Josie Rivera who is incredible in New York and, and just the belief in me because they had seen me so many times for so many mm-hmm. roles. And this one, you know, it was just a scene. It was just a moment. But I had so many ideas about it, right? It was like this FaceTimes and it's sort of funny influencer phone call. And I had all of these ideas. I just came bursting out. You know, there's probably three lines, but I I sort of had so much fun with it. And I made it about making me and Nick, who was our beloved casting director who's passed. But Mm -hmm. at the time – just fun for us, a fun moment for us in in the middle of the winter, you know, mm-hmm. and then and then all of a sudden, it was actually originally the role was not mine. Um, and then meaning the, they they had cast somebody else or made an yeah. offer to someone. Yeah, I don't even know if I can say okay. this, but whatever. I mean, she she well, it's yours she now, my darling. But Philippa Sue of Hamilton. Yes. And I and I thought, oh my God, incredible. Yeah. Like incredible that it was between me and her. I mean, I adore her work and totally so different. I I so I thought I thought incredible. And then she actually left to do a Broadway show opposite Uma Thurman, which is just an incredible career choice. And yes, hope. And then uh I got I got a call. And I remember I had stepped out of a, a movie theater because Movie Pass was raging. It was the right. rage <laughs> back in the day. Yes. And I got out of a movie and I got a call and I was staring outside on the Upper Waste side at 66 Lincoln Center. Yes. And I was outside and I was just like bewildered. And there's a Dwayne Reed right there. And they were like, well, we have your – can we get your measurements at the time? And Moises, who's the friend in the Bronx, he was the one with me. I mean, he's giggling. I was like, no, I've never taken my measurements. So mm-hmm. he took me to Dwayne Reed. We got a tape measure. You know, <laughs> at Dwayne Reed, I'm sort of taking off my, you know, shirt and I'm in a sports bra. And we're, we're measuring me. For wardrobe. Of Dwayne Reed, like, 
trying to figure it out. I'm like, what is this? And I'm Googling these terms, these wardrobe measurements. And it's like from your groin to your ankle, from your little toe to your ear. And we and, need and, your hat size, right? Yeah. Like all that stuff. Yeah, hat size. And I and I thought, oh my gosh. And and that's that's really it. That's really what happened. So I you had, had already it. let it go. Like you had been told you didn't get it. Yeah, it was another audition that yeah. I didn't get. Yeah. yeah. We have just, so many of those. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I, and, and some of my favorite auditions I ever did, of course, I never booked. But right. I, I, I've, I've done ridiculous things in tapes. And I've had so much fun. And I just try and remind myself that that the job is auditioning and finding joy in every character. Mm-hmm. And the cherry on top is when you book it. You know? So let me ask you something. How long after you graduated from NYU did you book Mary Hamilton on Batwoman, the CW show? Four years. Four so years. Of almost it didn't nothing. even take five years. No, no. And on the fourth <laughs> year, can you believe it? I thought – Phew, phew. Yeah, dropped my knees. I, I mean, mean, not that you hadn't done other things. Obviously, you know, I yeah, had yeah. a bunch of credits. So you started to work. You started to get paid to be an actress. Yeah. Yeah, I did. And especially with Sense and Sensibility with Bedlam Theater, a company I just adore that company. I love Eric Tucker. I love the whole company. And mm-hmm. and they took me on the road. And I, I had seen it. You know, that, that was a, a originally at a theater by NYU, actually, that I had seen it. And then mm-hmm. I... And I got to be in it, and that was just a, such a joy and a delight. So, so yeah, I had had that, but yeah, d- to be able to to support myself, I was starting right. I was starting yeah. to, but but this this was it. This was the ticket. This was the golden ticket for me. And yeah, and when you get into something that is part of um, a franchise of yeah. any kind, you know, you suddenly realize that you're not just making a little show in Canada with this fun cast. You're making something come alive for people who have um, held those comics in their hands for their entire lives. It, 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 you know, the way you describe yeah. the actor studio, that is what this means to them yes. in terms of a world. Um, and so to have a cast that's so diverse, that is so well, let's just talk about how gorgeous. Yes. <laughs> like, that's crazy. Like, you just, first of all, do you just go around all day like, you're so pretty? No, you're so pretty. You're so- oh, I do. Oh, I do. I, you know, I used to make this joke because, like, Megan is so tall and Rachel Scarston is so tall and beautiful. Megan is literally Miss California. I mean, geez. Right. And I, I remember thinking, when I met Megan Tandy, I said, Oh my God, if Barbie made a movie of the perfect Barbie coming to life, it would be Megan Tandy. And and then yeah. beyond that, she's got such a big heart and a deep soul and it, it, she's incredible. And I, I was just jaw dropped. So actually I was like, oh, you know, I'm glad to be the comedic relief to all of these like <laughs> glamazon women. And it's so funny because they would always put me in a heel because I was like, just like fall. I I would always joke. I'm like, I'm just trying to stay in the frame with these women. How tall are you? I'm 5'3". Right. You're petite. I mean, yeah, Rachel is like 5'10". So Mm -hmm. is just tall, tall, tall. Are you ever standing on apple boxes or they they just do it? Oh, yeah. 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 Sometimes they have them sit 
you know, and have me mm-hmm. walk around and uh, and <laughs> in your heels, chaotic and <laughs> and mess around and pl- and play with things. Yeah, right. I mean, it's incredible. And then beyond how beautiful everyone obviously is, um, yes. I I the the deadline article came out and it really hit me because they put my picture next to the comic. Now I am a combination of Bet Kane, who is the right. original Batgirl, which is crazy, and Elizabeth Hamilton. And there's this like blonde, beautiful, cute comic book character and right. my face next to it. Right. And I remember thinking, wow, this I I can't have asked for anything else. This it's is so powerful. This is the exact thing that I meant is that when I was asked all of those business questions, what are you brand based on what mm-hmm. they're saying visually? I was so disconnected. I felt so disconnected from it. And this picture and this industry and what it has grace me to be allowed to do is to hopefully show more people possibility and right now I'm on the first live action black bat team and that is incredible and I'm not you know the tech girl I'm not you know a stereotype I am a really powerful strong you know empowering encouraging hilarious and the heart of the show and and so to be that emotional center of a show when and not be I don't know whatever stereotypes there were that Asian women are severe or Uh technical right you know or or not the subject of desire if they're not being orientalized or fetishized you know all of those things combined allow me to fully express through this role. And I think that's what the fans receive. You know, mm-hmm. there there have, of course, you get critique. There, of course, there are people that want to see what they have grown up with in the comics. Mm-hmm. But I challenge them to take a watch, you know, of a few episodes. And, and cha- I always challenge people because that's what I want in this world. Say, what if it was in this body? What if you could see a story you know and love expressed through a body that you don't expect? Mm-hmm. You might get some beautiful counteractive, you know, things coming at each other to create this amazing synergy, like, and, and give you something that you haven't seen because we've seen Gotham. We know what mm-hmm. Christopher Nolan's Gotham looks like. Mm-hmm. We have the Dark Knight. We have right. these epic performances that have shown us sort of the the people that are the outskirts of a city. And, wh- and what if we see a new face with that? What if we see a new story? What if we champion a new a new story that we haven't seen, a new character. And I and I really think that's what Mary Hamilton is, especially because she's a combination of so many comic book characters. Yep. And how great that is for you to have that freedom to sort of, you are creating this new character. Yeah. I mean, she's you. And yeah. I feel like, it. I mean, you can answer this, obviously. It, it, maybe it's just my fantasy of it, but I feel mm-hmm. like they are so writing for your voice. The writers seem to really understand. It's like lightning in a bottle. They, they <laughs> see like all the things you can do. And it's very rare for someone to be like, 
a physical comedian in the way that you are um, <laughs> to to be able to handle the language to like you can do all the things to be compassionate and empathetic to be a leader to be hilarious to be the brain to be the hottie like all of it um, I Thank feel like they're just writing more and more and more to your strengths and it's you know really what? exciting. Is- so nice of you to say and observe. And Caroline Dries definitely is constantly calling me, asking me how I'm doing. She knows everything about my life. But also then when you give them something, right, that they didn't see on the page, then they – it's like it's like ta- it's like volleying a, a ball, right? I volley them something, they volley me something else, and they give me bigger and bigger challenges. And in season two, based on season one, and all of the interviews that Caroline did, and we sh- we talked about Mary Hamilton, and mm-hmm. a great fan favorite, just because she takes the seat of the audience and she is human, and she. And we we all, you know, want to protect Mary, which is like a sort of campaign hashtag that came about season one because uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. she's always in danger, yes. you know, and and she's always using her environment and using her wits and using her just incredible bravery to to get out of every situation. But like after that, I was given even so much more in season yeah. two, especially because Mary yeah. is the only one at the top of the show that has a connection to all of the original ancillary characters. So yeah. she crashes into Ryan Wilder and they come from such different places, but then they they connect because both of their moms were killed by Alice, our series villain. And suddenly they've got more in common and they've, they are super alone in this world. So they just find each other and latch Mm -hmm. on is, is sort of what I think. And, and Mary is just sort of like, like inspired by like Ryan is fearless in a way that Mary is not ready to be. And, Mm -hmm. and also. And and inspires her. Yeah. Mary also takes, Ryan under her wing to show her the bat cave and the bat team because Mary didn't have that with the Kate Kane character. And, and so she's in the center of this connecting Ryan to everybody else on the show. And in that way, I'm just so proud of Mary for stepping up to the plate. She was the little sister in season one, and now she's sort of the big sister in season two. And I get to watch and experience sort of her also coming of age story through through Batwoman. And yeah, I, I just have to give it to the writer's room, our diverse writer's room mm-hmm. of, just, of just, I think the world is ready for all kinds of stories and, and for them to all intersect, you know, intersectionality, right? Yep. We explore the spectrum of sexuality, of our different racial makeup of our different cultural makeups and, and have them all interplay. And we don't, it's not heavy handed. They just right. exist. And, and it's I not, think, no one's commenting on it. It just is. Yes. And I think that's just a breath of fresh air too. Yeah, it's incredible. You know? And I have to say like your network is really a leader in that way. Yeah. It's Thank pretty you. incredible. And all of you, I mean, what has it been like? You are one of the productions that has been shooting during this time. I, have, yeah. Like, how I, can you talk a little bit about what yes. the process has been like? 
Yes. I mean, yes, there was tons of adjustments. I get tested every other day. Uh, we are all always masked unless until somebody says action, we are then unmasked. We take precautions. We're six feet apart. We have COVID officers always on set, um, making sure that the regulations are being followed. And, you know, and uh, but all of those practices now have I just don't even think about. It. I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to get a swab up my nose every other day. Like, oof, what is that? But now I don't even think about it. I show right. up. I'm like, Hi, how are you doing? Right. right. Do you want me uh, to do it myself? OK, exactly. Right. exactly. <laughs> and it's just become the norm. And yeah. because of that, I am just so proud to say that our production has almost like with barely a hiccup has continued on and we have rolling and giving production. And I think that that I'm really grateful for to have the work, especially during this time. Yeah, it's but incredible. Also be able to see it finally now and have it have it just maybe bring people relief Mm-hmm. every Sunday. And also, I, I mean, I haven't seen my parents in over a year and things like that, but for them to sort of be able to see me Sunday nights, mm-hmm. it, it's the gift that sort of keeps on giving, at least for me personally. And then and then in this strange time, the ways that we connect with each other are through Twitter, are through the things like you said that you announced that I was your guest. And, and I've got this communi- community that is interested in in asking me things and I and I'm very grateful to have conversation you know I had mm-hmm. to quarantine alone for 14 days in Canada there's been a lot of alone time and contemplative <laughs> moments yes. yes I think your story and your um ability to share it with such generosity is so inspiring to me. I really thank you for that. We see it in the work, but it's really um, just so lovely to get to have this time with you today and really understand the incredible um, amount of focus and hard work and passion uh, that has led you to a place to get to do it with so much joy. It's just the best story. It's so heartening. It makes me so happy. You're so talented. I love that we can find your, you know, so much of this stuff you're writing and performing on social media or YouTube, if we can't be in the place that you're doing it right now. So thank you for sharing so much. Thank you so much for asking me, you know, and, and your sort of generosity for having me on your podcast because process and things and all of these things is just such a great joy and, and a delight for me to speak about. So thank you. You're just like asking incredible questions and I've just, I don't know. I've, I've loved, <laughs> I've loved this. It's so fun. All right. Before I let you go, yeah. um, can you share a little known fact about yourself a little known fact about myself is that I've had one professional figure skating gig. <laughs> and it was on the Samantha B show in New York. I'm obsessed with her. Yeah, and incredible. it was for her Christmas special on ice. And I was dancing behind or ice skating, figure skating behind Adam Rippon. And it is it was so delightful and I and I skated in this huge Dolby theater in in Times Square. <laughs> and oh my God, talk about my bucket list that it's with him and with your history. That's so incredible. Yeah, I I'm love a that total, so much. I'm a total figure skating extra, but it's 
some of the most fun I've ever had. Oh my God. That's incredible. Well, we will all look for it. Nicole Kang, thank you. Thank you for spending this time today. What fun. Thank you so much for having me. A-OK. And one more thing, if you enjoyed today's episode, would you mind going over to the Apple Podcast show page and rate and review the show? Thank you. Clouds can make the wind blow, bugs can make the grass grow, so there you go. These are little known facts that now you know. The Little Known Facts theme song was written and performed by Georgia Famusa with backup vocals by Caleb Famusa. And episodes are recorded in New York City and edited by Nicholas Clark.